Alrighty, and welcome to those watching online as well. How are you? Sarah's great, awesome. Good to see you this morning, and uh, it's uh, just a privilege to be here and to share from the Word this morning. Um, I've been promising since the end of last year that in 2019 we would be working through uh, Mark's Gospel as a way of focusing on the uh, on the life of um, today. Just got something something buzzing. <laughs> uh, today we uh, are in week number one, chapter number one, verse number one. We'll probably get a bit past verse one, but uh, chapter one, verse one. And um, what I'm feeling at the moment as we begin is sort of a combination of excitement and anticipation as we dig our teeth into this this book, this gospel of Mark, but also some trepidation and nerves because I've not had the challenge before of uh, of really going. Uh, deep into a book of the Bible like this, certainly not in in teaching from it. Um, Mark's Gospel is 16 chapters long. It's actually the shortest of the four accounts of Jesus' life that are in the Bible. And uh, that's because it's it's quite to the point. It sort of just gets straight to it. There's less in-between stories and teachings and things that Jesus talked about, stories he told... Um, it just kind of launches into the big things that happen, the, the events of his life, the miracles. Um, here's what scholar Mark Strauss writes about the beginning of Mark's gospel, um, which will only take us a few weeks to cover. This is just about the first chapter or so. In a few short paragraphs, he says, we hear about Jesus' preparation for ministry, the role of John the Baptist as the forerunner of the Messiah, the baptism of Jesus by John, and Jesus' temptation in the wilderness by Satan. Before we can catch our breath, Jesus launches into his ministry, announcing the kingdom of God, calling disciples to follow him, beginning a campaign of preaching, healing, and casting out demons. Mark is So that's all just in the first lesson of chapter. Mark is fond of the Greek word euthus, often translated immediately. Say immediately. Immediately. Which appears 41 times through the word, uh, though the word does not always mean just then. It serves to propel the narrative forward with speed and urgency. This is a gospel on steroids. That's what Mark Strauss says. I like that. So it may be the shortest account of Jesus' life, but uh, what we'll discover is that it's full of meaning and significance for us, even though it hits the point quickly. Uh, Our objective as we unpack the text over the course of the coming months is to ask this question, what does it look like to live and love like Jesus? What does that mean? How do we do that? How do we live this out in practice? To be, to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus. So we're not going to rush through this. You could actually read the whole uh, of Mark's gospel quite easily in one sitting. Uh, But we're going to take it a little more slowly. You might ask, how slowly are we talking, Luke? And uh, I don't have an exact finish date, but I expect we'll finish sometime towards the end of this year. Uh, Yes, this will be the longest sermon series in the history of the Billabong. Um, Now, as I mentioned a few times in the the, the recent weeks and even late last year, we're not going to be ignoring other accounts. We're not going to be ignoring Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel and John's Gospel and not even the rest of the Bible because it is absolutely all connected, all points to the life of Jesus, all very important. And we'll do cross-referencing a lot. But I believe that there's such a rich revelation in Mark's Gospel 
that we'll, what will happen is we'll come to appreciate it more and more as the year goes on and go, there's so much in this, even just this one narrative. And that's why we're focusing and honing in on it for the year. I want to start today by uh, letting the Bible Project guys give you a quick overview of Mark's Gospel um, with a little video. Some of you will have watched this during January if you're here for our Bible study series. Um, But I think it's helpful to watch it again. It gives a bit of an overview of the whole thing and uh, then we will get stuck into chapter 1 today. So if we can run that video. The Gospel of Mark is a book in the Bible about the life of Jesus. Jesus and throw them together. He's designed this book to address some really specific questions about whether or not Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. So let's stop right there because that's a term a lot of people like me aren't very familiar with. Yeah, so the Messiah was a royal figure, sometimes called the Son of God, that Israel was expecting to come and set up a kingdom here on earth. And around the time of Jesus, Israel was occupied by Rome, and so many Jews were hoping that the Messiah would come and overthrow the Romans and rule as king. But Jesus didn't overthrow the Romans. In fact, he was killed by them. And that brings us to the very issues Mark is trying to get at in this book. So in the first half, he focuses on who Jesus is. Is he really the Messiah? And then in the second half, he's addressing how Jesus became the Messianic King. And then right here in the middle of the book is this pivotal story that brings the two halves together, and Jesus answers both of these questions. Okay, so let's talk about the first half of the book, who Jesus is. So Mark makes his beliefs about Jesus very clear from the first line of the book. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. One of the next stories is Jesus getting baptized and God's voice announces from heaven, this is my son. So it couldn't be more clear, it's presenting Jesus as the Messiah. Yes, but as you're reading through this first half of Mark, you'll notice something really interesting start to happen. Jesus is going about healing all these different people and he's constantly telling them to keep quiet about who he is. This happens so many times in Mark's account, it's very strange. Yeah, why keep it a secret? So remember, lots of Jews had lots of different expectations about what the Messiah would be and do. And so Jesus doesn't want people to misunderstand what it means for him to be Israel's Messiah. And so with all that in mind, we come now to the pivotal story at the center of the book where Jesus takes his disciples away and he asks them, who do you all say that I am? And Peter says what everyone's been saying, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. But then something new happens because Jesus starts explaining to them how he's going to become the Messianic King and it is not what they expected. He says he's going to suffer and die and rule by becoming a servant or in his words, the Son of Man did not come to be served but to become a servant and to give his life as a ransom for many. Peter is startled by this and he rebukes Jesus because there's no way he's going to let Jesus die. And Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan, which is really intense. It really is. But it highlights how important it is for Jesus that his disciples come to understand who he really is. And so here now in this pivotal section, Jesus tries three different times to have this conversation with them. And every time they respond in confusion and even fear. Okay, so this launches us into the second half of the book where Mark addresses the question of how Jesus becomes the Messianic King. It's the last week of Jesus' life. 
He goes to Jerusalem, gets in conflict with the religious leaders, and gets arrested. And he's put on trial as someone who's claiming to be the king of the Jews. He's even given a crown and a purple robe like a king would get, but it is all a cruel joke. Then he's mocked and beaten and hung up on a cross where he dies. And it's here in this crucial scene that we meet a new character. A Roman soldier. Who suddenly gets everything that's going on. He says, surely this is the son of God. Which is crazy. It's an enemy who's first putting it all together that Israel's messianic king is the crucified Jesus. That's the structure of the book of Mark. But the book doesn't end with Jesus dead on the cross. No. So on the third day, some women go to visit Jesus' tomb, only to find that it's empty. And then there's this angel standing there, instructing them to go and tell this good news that Jesus is alive from the dead. But instead, they run away and they don't tell anyone because they're afraid. And that's how the book ends. Which is a really abrupt ending. Yeah, it's so abrupt that later scribes did add an ending that brings more closure to the story. And you'll find that story in your Bible with a little footnote that says it was added much later. But Mark's a brilliant storyteller, and he's intentionally ended this book abruptly. So all through the book, the disciples have been confused about Jesus' plan to give up his life, the story in the middle and now right here at the end. It's like Mark is acknowledging just how startling this claim really is. And he wants you, the reader, to wrestle with it for yourself. Is this crucified Jesus really the Messiah that they've been waiting for? Alrighty. So let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And thank you that uh, as we sit here in this space uh, in 2019, that Um, You have done an amazing work to pass the revelation of who you really are through ordinary people over many, many centuries and uh, had all of this written down and and preserved to the point where today we sit here and we can read it um, on devices, in books and on the screen. And Lord, we are thankful that this life-changing word of God uh, through the scriptures is, um, is so readily available to us, um, able to convict us, to comfort us, to challenge us, to encourage us. And so this morning as we come to it, we pray that you would do a work in our hearts um, as we open ourselves um, up to you, to your Holy Spirit, to allow you to speak to us, to transform our very being. We thank you for what you want to do uh, through our study of Mark's Gospel this year, and we pray that uh, you would indeed transform our hearts and renew our minds in Jesus' name. Amen. So, are you ready to begin? Yes, Luke, just get on with it, for goodness sake. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, this is what we've just heard uh, Mark's Gospel is about. It's a good news message about Jesus' true identity being the Jewish Messiah, and we've got plenty of time to unpack that more in the coming months. But this is how Mark opens the book. Verse 2 then says, It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Isaiah was a prophet from uh, many thousand years before um, in the Old Testament, and this is what he had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness... Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. 
This messenger was, the one that Isaiah is talking about, was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptised to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptised them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel, camel hair, and he wore a leather, leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. Anybody wear camel hair and stuff like that? Locusts and wild honey? Cam's got some crickets in the cupboard left over from a youth group activity, but I haven't been game to try them. Uh, so John was a bit of an interesting figure, but obviously played a very important role. Now, the whole thing starts with a quote from, as I said, one of the books of the Old Testament, one of the prophets of the Old Testament, Isaiah, who points to John the Baptizer. I'm going to call him that. John the Baptist sounds like he belonged to a particular denomination, which didn't exist yet. So John the Baptizer, who, as we'll see in a second, points to Jesus. That is his, his mandate. He points to Jesus. And he, this brings up one of the key things about Jesus, his, his life, his ministry, and Jesus' miracles. Uh, and that is that the story of Jesus didn't just start when Jesus was born. You notice that the beginning of Mark's gospel skips right over the birth of Jesus. Matthew and Luke do the birth of Jesus, the whole shepherds and angels and their wise men and everything, the Christmas story. Um, but this skips over. But that's not where the story uh, begins. Uh, Mark starts with words that are spoken thousands of years before that to point forward to the coming of this Messiah, this Saviour. The story of Jesus uh, starts not in approximately the year 6 AD or whenever this was, uh, or whenever, whenever he was born. It starts thousands and thousands of years BC, Genesis chapter 1, if you like. And uh, I've said this before, but we'll say it again, and this is the way the Bible Project guys put it. The Bible is one unified story that points to Jesus. The Bible is one unified story that points to Jesus, as do the characters within it. And I say this in order to raise a really important point from the outset of this year, that we want to live in love like Jesus. We want to follow in his footsteps. We want to imitate him. That's what it means to be his disciple. It means we're, 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 we're mimicking, we're imitating his life as, with him as the rabbi, the disciples becoming like the rabbi. But in all of that, as we seek to become more and more like Jesus, I believe we discover something important, that there are certain things about Jesus that we cannot imitate. If we try to be completely like Jesus, we've actually got it a bit wrong. We can't be like him entirely because Jesus does, some, does things like this. He establishes himself as king over all creation. How many of you know if we try to do that, it will probably won't go so well? If we establish ourselves as king over all creation... Uh, declares himself to be God, points to himself as the one who saves. And so clearly we're not meant to be like Jesus in those sense, senses. But that's where we are to be like others in the scriptures. All of these other characters who do point to Jesus in one way or another, like Isaiah who points forward to the one who will save, like John the Baptist who points to the one who offers what he cannot offer. And so if you're keen to be an imitator of Christ, 
then that's awesome. Let's do this together. Let's go on a journey. But let's recognize that there's one part of that that isn't exactly like Jesus. It's like the rest of the prophets. It's like the rest of the characters, the leaders in the Bible, because they pointed to Jesus. They didn't try to be him. It's just a little bit hard to say that our mission, because our mission is to live in love like Jesus, but it's a little hard to say that our mission is to live in love like Jesus, except when it's about his divinity, in which case live in love like those who pointed to him as saviour. It doesn't really have a good, simple ring to it. Uh, so we live in love like Jesus, but not try to be him. What's beautiful about who God is as Father, Son and Spirit is that Jesus did actually do what those pointing to him did. Even as God, even as the divine one, Jesus still pointed to God, not taking the glory for himself, but redirecting people to God the Father. Not saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Look at God. Here's what another Jesus follower who pointed constantly to Jesus wrote. Paul, writing in, uh, to the Philippians, chapter 2. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. See how this is already matching up with what we watched in the video, the message of Mark's gospel? And this is a completely different writer in a different time. Gave up his position, as, uh, took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue declare. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But it doesn't start that way, does it? It starts saying Jesus humbled himself. And that whole section that I just read is preceded by these words. You and I must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Gulp. To be humble, to, to not think of ourselves more worthy than others. Same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So, yes, be like Jesus, who actually pointed away from himself towards God. But remember, he was God, and we're not. And he was exalted and honoured accordingly, and we're not. So, John the Baptizer said this. John announced that someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. And this is the, the like Jesus attitude and message we are to have, pointing to someone greater. And I, I think that what this is about, partly, is giving credit where credit is due. If we're to point to Jesus, and only to Jesus, that's the title of this, this talk, only Jesus, the first part of that is just giving the credit to Jesus, giving credit where credit is due, giving God the credit for the things that may come that are good from our lives. For example, have you ever had somebody mistakenly think that you did something good and they gave you the credit instead of the person who deserved it? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever maybe gone to a bring and share dinner and you got something from the shop and you brought it, and, the per and somebody said, oh my goodness, you are such a good cook. Can I have the recipe for this? And you kind of go, oh, um, yeah, I, oh, I just kind of whipped it together, you know. 
Be honest, anyone ever done that? <laughs> no, of course not. It's even better when it's your mum's cooking and she cooks something for you and you take it and then you get the credit. If you've ever got credit for something when it was not your credit to have or you, you weren't the one who really was worthy of that, how do we react? I think uh, maybe what we say can point to our attitude, especially when it comes to things that God is doing through us or that is because of what God has done in our lives. Um, and this is part of the Christ-like attitude. Anything good that comes from us, the credit belongs with God. Jesus himself did this. This is not just like what the other guys did. This is Jesus as well. He said in Mark chapter 10, we'll get there around August, um, someone says to him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. Now, there's actually two things happening here. One, yes, he's pointing to God as the only one who's truly good. He's saying God gets the credit for this. And we should do that. Simultaneously, Jesus is highlighting here that he, being God, is good. And being good is God. We shouldn't do that. I know uh, for my, myself that um, this, is, this is just a heart-level thing that's really between me and God. I think this is between us and God um, much of the time. I, now, I, I know that I can fake humility pretty good. Someone says, oh, Luke, that was such a, that was such a great morning or a great something, whatever it, whatever it is that's happened. And, and uh, yeah, God is good, right? Yes. Nailed it. Kind of this fake humility on the, on the surface. Oh, glory be to God. Oh, yeah, the credit. It's all God. It's all God. And then I kind of actually privately take the credit for myself. Do you genuinely give credit to God when, when, when uh, honour or, or recognition is pointed in your direction? Giving credit to God for the good that comes from the work of your hands because it actually comes from God through you. I want to challenge us at the beginning of this walk through Mark's gospel to look for this in the life of Jesus. Because this is what the book is about. He was not one who came to be served, but to serve. And so he can show us how to truly glorify God in all things. Now, we use that phrase often. We want to glorify you, God. May you be glorified in our worship. May you be glorified in our, in our, in our work. May you be glorified in our relationships with each other. What does that really mean? How, how do we really do that? What does it actually look like? I think we can grow in this, even in the knowledge of this, but certainly in the practice of this, and I think Jesus can show us how. So let's keep an eye out for how Jesus shows us to point the credit, to point the glory to God in all things, in all relationships, in all actions, in all words. So that's one element of this pointing to Jesus that we have a responsibility for, only Jesus. The other element that I notice in this passage, which we're about to get to, uh, is that we see John the baptizer doing more than just giving credit to Jesus where credit is due. It's that he declares what Jesus can offer that we can't and letting that happen. What is it that Jesus can offer, that Jesus can give, that we cannot? Because there is, uh, there is something in that 
realm. There is something that Jesus can, and it's not our responsibility at all. I love that Mark's gospel starts this way. In these opening verses, in this opening passage and story, two things. What we can offer to this world ultimately comes from God and he gets the credit. But then so much more can be offered by Jesus himself. It doesn't all just come through us. God gets the credit for what we can do, and God certainly gets the credit for what only Jesus can do. See, John the baptizer offered a baptism of repentance. Okay, we read John, he said, There's a baptism of repentance, a forgiveness of sins, being washed clean. So he declared forgiveness of sins, which is exactly what Jesus offers. And this is what we get to offer as well as Jesus' representatives. Jesus gives his followers authority to declare sins forgiven. He says to Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. This is amazing stuff. We'll come to this next week, especially in Jesus' uh, um, baptism and his um, temptation in the wilderness. That we carry the identity of Jesus as sons and daughters of God and the authority that Jesus had to do all this amazing stuff, to preach the gospel, to cast out demons, to heal of sins, to perform miracles. I mean, this is not like, oh, no, only Jesus can do it. This is the stuff we as followers of Jesus have been given the authority to do. And I think it's going to take a good year to to really explore, wow, what does that mean? But while we baptise those who repent of sin and we declare that their sins are forgiven, and whilst that's a privilege and a joy to do what John did in that respect, then John says this, Someone is coming who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with, say it together, the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Cam. The Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. And this is what we cannot offer. I want to leave you uh, with this one thought and message at the beginning of our series on living and loving like Jesus. Don't try and be him. Don't try and do what Jesus can do. Don't try and be the ones who save someone, who revives someone, who brings someone to fullness of joy in relationship with God. Don't try and offer what only Jesus can offer through the Holy Spirit. We have a lot to offer, a lot that we have been given the authority to do. And sometimes we've flipped it around and instead we've gone, that stuff seems really scary. That must be the only Jesus stuff. This stuff seems doable, so how about we try that? And actually, it's the other way around. We're being given authority to declare forgiveness of sins and to call people to repentance and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and to pray for healing for the sick and to cast out demons. And Jesus said, no, I baptize with the Holy Spirit. I bring revival to someone's life and their soul. What Jesus can offer is so much greater He said, we'll do greater things for sure, but only Jesus can baptise with the Holy Spirit. As soon as we think of ourselves as as having succeeded Jesus, then the power is gone, right? So Jesus is the only one who can give new life. For me, as um, someone who has the privilege 
And I'm not talking about as, as being a pastor, but as someone who has the, the privilege of preaching the gospel and leading people into a relationship with God occasionally and of teaching and of baptising new believers. And all of us have this opportunity and this privilege. Um, I'm just fortunate enough to get to do it full time, if you like. But this reminder that Jesus is the only one that releases his spirit, it keeps us humble. I mean, we can't do this. We can't do everything. I've been given a great privilege and responsibility and power and gifts to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And still nothing of value really happens if Jesus doesn't do his thing. Resurrection power, spirit revival in people's life. I was, I was talking to someone this week who... Um, a friend of mine, they got to be the speaker at a youth camp uh, one weekend, and, uh, or I think it was a weekend, and they, they said that what happened was they put all this preparation, they had three talks, and they put all this preparation and, 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 and energy and, and, and thinking into the first two talks, um, about 40 youth and young adults, and they said uh, they, 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 they just preached and thought, oh, I'm putting so much effort into this, and it just seemed to go really well and the kind of the 40 youth and young adults kind of responded like, oh yeah, that was cool. Yeah, cool, nice. And then for the third talk, um, he said, I hadn't prepared it as much and I just kind of went, God, I need to just trust you and um, speak what's on my heart and, and, let, and just go with the flow and let you do your thing, God. And he said it wrapped up in about 10 minutes, that talk. And then he looked up and every single young person was bawling their eyes out as they sensed the presence and the glory of God in the room. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit had just decided to come and move among them despite his effort, the, this friend of mine. You know, some of us have experienced that. When, when people remove themselves from the equation or just in spite of what we may be doing and Jesus is just able to have his way. For me, I kid you not, it happened this week on Tuesday morning, sitting at the lights over there, driving my car to work as I was about to come into the office and just all of a sudden the presence of God was just in my car. I didn't ask for it. It was just like boom. And so I had to drive around the back car park a few times, bawling my eyes out so that I didn't wander in the office and Aaron would be like, what's wrong with you, Luke? The Holy Spirit can just rock up whenever he wants and do stuff that we can't. And so, I mean, you may be sceptical of this kind of thing because admittedly it can be manufactured, even in church settings, sometimes especially in church settings, it can get weird real quick or maybe your perception of, of what happens when, when God shows up in power is has been shaped by experiences, I simply want to challenge us to be like John, the baptizer in this case. Someone is coming who is greater than I, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to, to stoop down and untie his shoes. I baptize you with water. I declare repentance of sin, sure, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will bring the presence of God to this earth. Not just in himself, but in your life too. I, I, I want people, don't get me wrong, I want people to get baptised at the Billabong uh, as part of the Billabong family, into the Billabong family for sure. Um, if you've given your life to Christ or you are about to and uh, you haven't been baptised or you haven't confirmed your baptism, let's do it. We'll make it happen. Uh, baptism is, is a powerful, powerful sign of the washing away of your sin and of resurrection in, of new life in Christ, to new life in Christ. But water baptisms is not what we are here for. It's a big part of it. 
It's an important part, but it is not the main thing we are here for. We're here to see people baptised with the Holy Spirit because this is what Jesus offers. I feel like I'm repeating myself, but I feel like it's so significant. We are here to offer what Jesus offers, not what the Billabong can offer, not what Luke can offer, not what Anna can offer, not what Cameron can offer, not what youth group or anything that we do can offer. We are here to offer to people what Jesus can offer. And so we must humble ourselves and pray to ask him to do what only he can do. I hope that a few of you who have joined with me in prayer and fasting this week have begun to sense that this is such an important thing. I must be honest, in doing a 21-day fast and sort of starting small, the first week for me is kind of just like getting used to it. I don't feel very spiritual or anything. Um, But in fasting and praying, or if you're not able to fast, that's fine, but just joining us in prayer and committing to that for our church community for 21 days, or even jump in today or jump in next week and do for 14 or 7 days, that's cool too. But to do this is so much more important than anything else. To say, God, we need you to offer what only you can offer. We're just going to pray in a second uh, for, to, to wrap up this morning. We're just going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and minister to us. Uh, you know, as we change the order around a little bit today, we're going to do that this year. We'll just mix things up a little bit. Um, Sometimes after, we'll, uh, after the message, we'll, we'll just talk to one another. We'll debrief the teaching. Sometimes we'll just spend it in prayer. Today, that's what I want to do. Just to, uh, to ask this, this, the Holy Spirit to come and, and minister to us. Now, some of you might be asking, what, what is meant by he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit, that Jesus will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. What is meant by that? Maybe you have certain perceptions about what that means or, or has come to mean in, in certain church circles. I find that the best way to understand what the Holy Spirit is all about and what he does is to invite him in. That's it. Just to invite the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. You're welcome here to just do what you want. It may be a very simple word impressed on our heart that encourages us or helps us. It may be a more powerful healing of something from the past. It may be a sense of just, I feel God here, and that's pretty awesome. It may be nothing, but it may be something that doesn't make sense, and later on you understand that God was pointing you to something, whatever it might be. To be immersed in the Holy Spirit as God brings his spirit. Not just the spirit that's out there somewhere, but the spirit who is placed in our hearts to allow him to sense the presence of God. Just to invite him in. Jesus, only you can release your spirit. Jesus, only you can fill us with. Only you can baptize us with your spirit. We can do lots of other things, Jesus, because you've given us the authority and we'll talk about them later, but For now, release your spirit on us, fill us, immerse us. This year at our celebrations, uh, I do pray that we, um, yeah, that we will be open to what God would want to do in our lives and sometimes just to allow space for that as we'll do today. And so that might mean today that you want to pray with someone, it might mean that you want to uh, kneel. Um, or cry. It might mean that you want to just go for a walk for the next five minutes or so. 
But let's allow Jesus to do what only he can do, not just this morning, but as we go from this place as missionaries into the world, to ask him to pour out his spirit on us. Annalise and Lauren are just going to come and play and sing a song in the background, which you may want to hum along to as well. But other than that, this is time to let the Holy Spirit minister to us. Father, thank you that you are good. And thank you that in this place right now, you have already called us your sons and daughters. You've adopted us into your family. Those of us who have chosen to trust our lives with you. And Lord, for those who are still seeking and searching for truth and wanting to know who you are but have not yet chosen to follow you, Lord, I pray um, that those people too would feel a sense of your presence here this morning, not a pressure because you're not a coercive God, but a gentle, loving, invitational God who just draws us in gently. Father, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit upon us now that we would know, that we would sense, that we would feel your presence and that you would come and minister to us, Holy Spirit, to break away chains in our life, to bring healing where there needs to be healing, to bring renewal and refreshment where we need renewal and refreshment. Lord, for some of us, it's as simple as needing some energy right now or some passion. For some of us, it's, it's uh, a sense of brokenness and wanting you to to break down that brokenness. Lord, for some it's physical healing. For others it's mental healing. And Lord, maybe for most of us, we just, we just don't know what we need right now. We recognise that we are merely human and that you can do only what you can do and that um, you know best what we need. And so we ask that you would come and minister to us right now in the way that you know best. In Jesus' name. Amen. So just take the next five minutes to, um, just to pray, to sit uh, where you are. You can move up and walk around if you need to. And the girls are just going to, um, to uh, sing this song softly. Um, if you need to tune out from the song because that distracts you, that's okay. If you need to sing along to it, that's okay too. But let's just spend time with, with God. If you want to pray with anybody, um, myself and a couple of people will just go to the back um, out there and we're happy to pray with you.